Welcome to Sport Faith Life. I'm Chad Carlson. And I'm Brian Bolt. We're two guys from rival schools who came together with one common purpose, to think deeply about sport and faith. We're sports scholars, we're coaches, and we're competitive athletes, or at least we were. And together, we've created Sport Faith Life, a conversation that meets at the intersection of sport and faith. On Sport Faith Life today, we'll talk with Warren Evans and Matt Baker, two guys that have a lot in common. They grew up playing sports and also in Christian homes in England. Those two loves have become a ministry and a career, as both men serve executive leadership roles for Sport Chaplaincy UK, an organization that serves football clubs and other sports at all levels. Let's get started. Well, we're so excited to have Warren Evans and Matt Baker with us today. We're going to get started right away. Warren, can you tell us a little bit about sport and your life, please? Well, I'm one of three brothers, uh, four brothers. Uh, so, I forgot I had uh, three brothers. I've got three brothers. I'm one of four. That'll get my brain again. And so sport was really important to us as brothers as you uh, express that energy, express that uh, in a household, uh, get, get rid of that energy in that sense. So we played everything. And whatever was on TV, we played. But my uh, my favourite sports when I was younger was probably rugby league and, to you guys, soccer. Matt, how about you? Uh, yeah, don't have as many brothers as Warren. Just got one brother. Uh, but similarly love sport from an early age, uh, particularly for me, football and athletics, actually. Uh, played football <clears throat> at school, played a decent level amateur-wise, southern amateur, uh, and then athletics as well, uh, competed National League in athletics. Uh, but uh, n- knee injuries rather rather took over for me. I've had four four knee ops over the years, so uh, that kind of curtailed it. That's the excuse that I, I use anyway for the fact that I never ended up as a professional athlete. Everybody's got an excuse at some spot, right? And uh, four operations and you only have two knees, that's not a very good ratio. <laughs> <laughs> hey, so Matt, how, tell us a little bit about faith in your life. Similar to sport in that faith has always been there, really. I can't remember a point in my life when uh, I didn't believe. I know that sounds exceptional, but, you know, I was brought up in a Christian family. Uh, I remember being a seven or eight year old and going to church and and responding in my heart in, you know, in that seven or eight year old way. Um, You know, my heart was strangely warmed, to to quote Wesley, at that age. And, uh, yeah, I've always sensed God's presence with me. Uh, throughout my life. So uh, an absolute constant. Uh, and then, you know, obviously I've matured, I hope a little bit from that seven or eight year old faith, but always been there really. And Warren, how about you in the midst of the boxing, rugby and, and the football among the Evans brothers? How about, what was faith like in your life? Well, it was obviously very well. I say obviously. Uh, I'm a pastor's kid, so my father was a pastor. And so a bit like Matt, uh, Christian family. So it was very evident. There was never any Real question. I think we all go on a journey, but ultimately it was always uh, centered to our life, centered on how we walked, walked the talk in that sense, which was basically because of the, 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 the faith walk that my parents had done. Well, it sounds like both of you guys uh, have similar backgrounds in some ways, uh, a love of sport uh, and a lot of engagement and a love of God right from the very beginning. Uh, uh, kind of interesting that way. Let's separate you a little bit. Uh, let's see. Uh, Matt, tell me a little bit about uh, 
maybe something that uh, people don't know, something that maybe a hobby or something about your life that uh, kind of separates you from from your uh, your pal over there. Well, <laughs> hobby wise, you don't have a lot of time for hobbies when you've got three boys and you're kind of chasing around all around the country, supporting them in 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 their support and their sport. Um, so it, here's a little obscure thing. Maybe uh, I live right next door to the football ground here in Cholton. Uh, my granddad, who's not been with us now for some 26 years, but he claimed to have helped dig out the pitch uh, back in 1919 or something. So uh, that's kind of really in my blood, living this, this near to the football ground. Uh, and every now and again, I come across this very grainy photo that the club puts out. And I try to pretend that the, the chap in it is my granddad who helped to dig the pitch <laughs> out. I don't know whether it's him or not, but, you know, it could have been. So, yeah. Sure. Warren, how about you? Oh, that's a great question. I have three boys as well, so we are still very similar in that context. But uh, I think uh, for me, it's <laughs> I, I, my final sport when I was playing sport was squash and, and boxing. So I guess from being in business to uh, before being a pastor and getting involved in sports chaplaincy, was I actually did some bouncing or door work or security in that sense. Uh, which was mm. part of just the environment I was in, which always people think is strange, but it's just the journey. You meet people, and uh, God's gracious in that journey that we go on, but it, it equips you for uh, for where we go on. It breaks them paradigm shifts, what people may think a pastor should or should not do. You know, uh, no matter where you are, everybody kind of understands what it means to be a preacher's kid, right, or a pastor's kid. So a little little rebellious streak every once in a while. Uh, it's good to hear about yours was uh, bouncing people out of bars, but uh, <laughs> uh, interesting stuff for sure. So I wonder if we could start. Uh, you guys work together, right? You do similar things. And uh, I would it'd be great if our listeners just sort of got a, a quick uh, overview of uh, what it is you do. Uh, so if you could give us a sense of uh, the sports chaplaincy work that you do. Who's going first? I didn't know. Who oh, sorry. <laughs> okay, that's uh, that That was a host problem there. So uh, obviously, let's go with uh, Warren. Start us, start us off. Oh, great. Uh, thank you. I, I guess my privilege is working with Matt in that sense and the team that I have in, in, in from a sports chaplaincy are very gifted leaders. And I just have the privilege to, in my role, to support them and protect them in that sense, in the right sense, and hopefully open some doors for them and make sure no one has a go at them, ultimately. Uh, so, no, I, I'm really fortunate that I have some great team, and, and Matt's just, I can't speak highly enough of Matt and the rest of the guys because they're just A-star a class people. And, Matt, the, the type of work that you do, give us an example of the, the sort of the big picture and then the day-by-day. Day. So... Uh Big picture in terms of the football side of things, uh, if, if you know how it's kind of structured in, in England, I oversee all of English football. So we've got you know the, the Premier League and then the Football League below that and then leagues below that as well. So in those top four divisions, we just stick with that. Uh, we've got about 70 of the 92 football clubs that have got chaplains. So my role in that sense is to oversee them, is to train them, is to encourage them. It is to visit them pre-COVID. Obviously, there's not been a lot of visiting going on other than, you know, via video calls over the last sort of year or so. But prior to that, I was traveling up and down the country, visiting them in situ, working alongside clubs to find the right person 
for for their club. So at the moment, I've got about three or four clubs that are in transition in terms of chaplains moving on or looking for a chaplain. So I try to find the right person for them, uh, meet up with the individual, introduce them to the club. They go through our training as well. We can get into detail on that if you want to. So that's the that's the big picture in, in terms of the football side of things. And then um, start of last year, I stepped up in my role uh, working alongside Warren as as national director then for England and, and all of English sport. So started to oversee the other pastoral directors that we've got in other sports, like in rugby league, like in rugby union and cricket and athletics and gym and all of that kind of stuff. Uh, of course, COVID hit, and I keep saying that, but that has changed all of our lives so much. And and therefore, you know, the last year and a half, again, it's been very different because I've not been able to go out and visit those different different areas. But but that's the idea, as as we're just seeing a massive growth in terms of chaplaincy and, and chaplaincy support. So, Matt, it sounds like uh, there are chaplains with teams, with uh, organizations, and in, in, you said a vast majority of the professional football clubs in, in England. You also mentioned a couple of other sports that – you you're placing uh chaplains at can you give us a, a scope for the types of sports there so i mean you mentioned a few others how 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 prevalent is uh chaplaincy within those sports in the uk and, and what exactly are the sports you mentioned athletics you mentioned cricket uh do do most professional you know county cricket teams professional organizations have chaplains in in those sports in the uk in cricket, not not so much as in football. I mean, football is really where we've seen so much growth. <clears throat> really, the, the genesis of how it all you know, happened with us in terms of chaplaincy. In cricket, off the top of my head, I think we've got about six or eight uh, clubs now, counties that have got chaplains. Uh, one or two interested. Uh, it, it operates in the same way as chaplaincy does in any other sport, but there's always going to be differences, and, and that's one of the fascinating things that we find. For example. You know, if I compare football and cricket now, lots of what goes on in football is going on during the week at the training ground, going in every week, being around the players, being around the staff, offering support. Some of us are privileged to be involved on, on match days, but of course, the, there's there's quite a focus on the match day in terms of, of the game. If I talk to those involved in cricket, they're not so involved during the week, you know, when there's nets going on and that. However, on a match day, because cricket goes on for, you know, four or five days. I mean, one of the chaplains actually said this. I end up praying for rain, he says, because when it <laughs> rains, that's when I do my chaplaincy. He said, I go wandering around talking to the guys that are padded up in the dressing room waiting to go out because they've got hours to kill. That's when they want to talk about stuff. So you can see this it's chaplaincy. It's about heart for people. It's still supporting people. But how it's going to operate is going to be different depending on on the different sports. And Warren, how does that that operation, that weekly operation look in rugby? Well, in rugby, it's very similar to football. Team sports are very similar, but the nuances, as Matt has indicated, can be slightly different depending on how people train and what that looks like, the length of a game in that sense. And so it does look different across uh, each of the sports. But again, it looks different in slightly different in, in a local gym to an elite football club or rugby club or or cricket club in that sense so it has its own nuances and it looks different across obviously sports chaplains uk covers the four home nations so it looks different at different levels in each of the home nations so as matt oversees england which is obviously the largest and and where we originally started from we obviously have scotland ireland 
England and Wales, and they look slightly different because the kind of structure that uh, sport takes place in those nations is not quite as high in that sense or professional in the sense of the resource that is thrown into sport. And obviously the key sport in in, in England is is primarily football. Obviously there's other professional sports, but that's the primary sport in that sense. But obviously you've got athletics and other sports that we as an organisation have really wanted to see uh, impacted by the love of Christ is is sport areas of sport that maybe are not seen as influential or, or or perceived as important, but we believe God sees everyone as precious and important. So areas like disability sport, all ability sport, women's sports, and we wanted to provide that same kind of care, uh, impact, compassion to to those areas of other sports. So the I'm kind of kind of fascinated by the the four home nations and sort of the the intricacies of each of those different locations, the type of sport, the cultures that people come from, and so both of you have uh, sort of oversight duties. You know, you are you are uh, selecting, you are preparing, you are training, you are supporting. Uh, I wonder if, uh, and I'm I'm sure the answer to this is not the same in each location, but how do you determine? A good fit, a good match. How do you determine if somebody is going to be uh, an, a successful chaplain in a particular setting? M- Matt, why don't you start with that? Yeah, ab- absolutely. It is really important to find the, the right person, the right fit. And that that will sometimes vary as well from, from sport to sport. Uh, so we've got a process that people come through uh, in, in order to find that right person. They will go through our website. They'll they'll see a little video from Warren talking about chaplaincy. They'll see our code of practice. Uh, They'll see uh, an introduction to sports chaplaincy document that we have on there. And then they will complete what we call an expression of interest form, which comes into us. Now, anything in England comes into me. And just to give you a feel, I I usually get two or three of those a week that come into my Mm. inbox. Now, we then take up references for that individual. So in filling that out, it will tell you a little bit about them. It'll tell you about their faith background. It'll tell you about their interest in sport and, and church, et cetera, et cetera. We then take up references, and then they have to sign up for a, a one-day induction that we do in sports chaplaincy. Now, that used to be and will be again in person. Where we're actually sitting in a room together. But over the last year or so, uh, we've been able to put that online. So we did that over three evenings. So they'll sign up to that and they do those three evenings of training with us where they look at the weird and wonderful world of sport, what it means to be involved in sport, the, the passions there, the competitive nature of it. We look at why why in that environment they might want a chaplain. Uh, and, and then we look at how you get accepted in that. We look at safeguarding. There's all different aspects we look at. And then when they've done that, we then try to work with them if we if we think they're suitable. And, you know, occasionally some will come through and we think we're not really sure that they're going to be the right sort of person. Uh, there will be a difficult conversation then. But we, you know, that's what we're about and we're prepared to have those. But in the majority of cases, those people then are suitable at some level in order to be a chaplain. So we'll then meet with them. Uh, now, if we've already got a vacancy in a particular area, then we can start to work with them and that club or in, in that sport to get them appointed. If if we don't have in a particular club or sport at the time, then they'll go into a waiting list until something opens up. And again, we're working with them in terms of trying to find that right sort of place for them. Sometimes that can take literally years before the right the right place comes up. Sometimes 
it, it's all about, I know we get very super spiritual, but, you know, when, when, when God opens the door, we see that. God opens the door and suddenly you've got someone and it's the right person, the right fit, and within a couple of weeks they're in and it's going fantastically well. In other situations, it can be three or four years before they get appointed. So there's not one one cat fits all in that sense. But that's generally how the process works in finding that right person. We have made a policy, though, over the last 15 or 16 months that we won't appoint somebody unless we physically met them, sat down in a room with them, because you need to see their body language. You need to understand a little bit more. You know, there's so much you can get over a, a video call, but we actually need to sit down because that's how they're going to be doing most of their chaplaincy. And they need to be able to communicate in that right way and, and make eye contact. And you know, Those interpersonal skills are really important. So, yeah, that's an overall summary of how it happens. And I think no, man, just that's a, a fantastic overview. Yeah, Warren, jump in. Sorry, I was just going to jump in. We, as a, as a chaplaincy organisation, we we reviewed the process a number of years ago to be what we do is driven by the, the dream or the vision that we believe God's given us, which is to see an expression of his love and compassion in every community called sport. And in the UK, that's 160,000 sports clubs, 30 million men, women and children who play are actively involved in sport, not spectators, but actively involved. So you might be taking your kid to the soccer club or football club or rugby or netball, whatever it might be, swimming club. You might be going for a park run or you may be going to the gym yourself. But one of those things when we take talk about the big thing was we never wanted to become the bottleneck of ensuring that that vision came to pass or dream came to pass. So as Matt rightly says, it's difficult, certainly through lockdown, how to you can do so much over Zoom and technology, but you need to connect with people. Uh, but also the, the for Matt's role as well, when we're dealing with elite clubs and uh, community clubs, for a better phrase, grassroots clubs, we have to partner effectively with the local church. And so, but it, because we partner so effectively with uh, national governing bodies in sport, we we take a great responsibility for those in let's say higher risk positions. So if it's a, a professional football club, no one would ever go anywhere near their door without Matt giving it the stamp of approval. Not because it needs Matt's stamp of approval, but there is a level of risk factor. If someone went in and did an awful job, it could have a massive ramification, not just in that one club, but ramification across all the professional sports clubs. So that it's not that each you're more important if you hire up the sporting tier, it's just that you've got to manage those risks slightly differently. And there's less risk if you go into your local gym and drop the ball than there is if you go into you know, a senior professional football club and drop the ball. It's slightly different. So this part of that, part of is obviously is wisdom. And but we've been God's been gracious in all this journey as we've trained, uh, looked to train and equip people. And our job is to set up the local church for success in the sense of we're there to equip the saints to do good works. Uh, and and so it's our privilege to do that and try, try and create a process that equips people, but also a process that helps protect the clubs and the communities that we're helping to serve effectively. Warren, what are you finding to be um, sort of the standard, maybe professional or vocational backgrounds of the people that are coming to you guys saying that they want to be a part of this three-day train, they want to be a part of Sports Chaplaincy UK, they want to be placed somewhere if it were to fit? I imagine there's strong pastoral backgrounds, but what are the types of things that you are seeing from uh, candidates for these positions? What have they done? What would what would equip them beyond the training that you guys are doing uh, to make good good chaplains? 
Well, on one level, we try not put the bar too high that we exclude somebody who may not be academic or have proven uh, capabilities, but actually are gifted pastorally, gifted spiritually. So we're never wanting to put the bar so high that we're judging people by an academic performance. But from from our perspective in that sense, it, it's quite a wide array. And we that's why we take uh, the expression of interest is so important, because it allows us to get feedback from people who know them from their local pastor, from their local minister, who will say, yeah, they're, they're not just a great or love sport, but they have pastoral giftings or they're spiritually alive in that sense. There's no point having somebody who, who may be great at sport, may have all the academic, you know, ticking all the right boxes and ones, but the, they can't communicate or they're so emotionally tied into a sport, they can't be distanced enough to make those pastoral uh, decisions in that sense and be effective in supporting people and i know you know we've we've been on that journey we've we've had to learn to ask the right questions to ensure that someone who doesn't look there's something you know a gut reaction you're just a checking your spirit however you want to phrase it it doesn't mean the bad people are wrong people it's just maybe that's a square pig in a round hole and we've got to ensure that when we're we're equipping people putting round pegs in round holes uh, but it from from backgrounds, it, it's quite diverse. In the past, originally, you know, Matt's been involved for nearly twenty years. I've been involved ten years. We we probably would have said ten years ago, ninety to ninety five percent of the people who came through our process were ordained ministers. I would probably say it's closer to fifty fifty, and I don't like the word lay, but people who are not in full time ministry, uh, mainly because we've diversed and gone from doing, serving just elite clubs to amateur clubs and grassroots clubs, which allows other people to step into those roles. But also the church has caught the vision. It's not about them sitting in a pew or sitting on a chair and hearing a message. It's about them fulfilling the Great Commission and going and serving that community. So part of that induction is just to say, don't do these daft things because you'll, you're going to shoot yourself in the foot. We want to set you up for success. But that we'll partner with other organisations to help upskill people. And that could be bereavement awareness. That could be mental health awareness. That could be addictions awareness. So it, it's a journey that we go on. And the benefit of Sports Chaplaincy UK and, and certainly Matt's role, there are hundreds of gifted, talented people that we want to share resource, share advice. If you go into your club and you you don't know what to do or you've, you someone asks you a difficult question, you don't have to answer it straight away. You can ring Matt up and Matt will say, this is who you need to speak to or this is what you need to do. And it's about sharing that learned knowledge, that learned experience and hopefully better serving the community that God's placed us in. The sharing of resources, it seems to be um, a natural standard practice for maybe more grassroots type organizations, uh, places that are interested in you know sport for all, uh, that doesn't have maybe the proprietary demands that say a professional uh, football club would have. And so, Matt, I'm wondering what what, what what changes? I mean, there's a lot on the line. There's a lot at stake uh, with the, the football clubs you're, you're dealing with, specifically the, the top tier professional teams, right, that are, are dealing with hundreds of millions of pounds. I mean, every, every year things are, uh, there's high stakes there. How does that change uh, in, in for the ways in which someone who's uh, a part of Sports Chaplaincy UK might, might function uh, with that club? How does that change for you as someone that oversees things? Is it just that there's more at stake for the club? Is there are there different ways that you're operating uh, as a as a manager, so to speak, of the chaplains of some of those clubs? Yeah, it is very different at the at the sort of elite level down to the grassroots um, in, in terms of how it operates. Uh, it can be actually further down that 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 spectrum that you get more opportunities actually because you're you know, 
you're you're a person who's prepared to come in on a weekly basis and, and you you can find sometimes for chapters they get overwhelmed or you can do this you can pick this up you can pick that up uh which is which is great to some degree but then you get capacity issues if you go right up the top now you made the point in terms of the that the financial support that there is now and, and how big it is in football you're you're part of a, a much bigger team if you're going to be involved in the premier league or, or the championship and so chaplains need to understand that, that it isn't just about them. Uh, they're going to be part of a team. Of course, you're going to be part of a team further down, but you're going to be perhaps a, a smaller cog in a big wheel at that sort of level. And it's understanding then what you bring uniquely to that situation, what your, you know, your USP is in that sense, and the club understanding that. And this is where it does start to get complex now because it isn't just down to big clubs and small clubs. It, every culture, every club has a different culture as well as every sport have a different culture. And the, the way that a club embraces the chaplaincy varies from club to club as well. And so it, it's a real mix. This is where it, my job gets complex because – you know, naively, when I started in the role 11 or 12 years ago now, you know, I thought, oh, well, if you can find a manager who wants a chaplain, you, you, know, you, get, you get somebody in there. But sometimes I've had managers who want a chaplain, but the, the owner won't or the chairman won't, and he'll you know, say no. Sometimes it's the other way around. Uh, it's trying to find the right sort of people there who've had a good experience. Uh, what, what is very beneficial of being a UK charity is that where we've seen the people moving from particularly Scotland because, you know, there's football's big in Scotland. I know it is in Wales as well, but, you know, there's a lot of clubs up in Scotland. But but the person who does my job up in Scotland, Mark Fleming, done a fantastic job in chaplaincy up there. And so when we see players and members of staff going the, the other way, we're in contact over that. And I nearly always find somebody who's been you know, a manager or whatever up in Scotland and they come down south. They're keen to have a chaplain because Mark's done such a great job up there as well. Uh, and so that relationship is really important for us that we stay connected and, and, and keep talking. I've got off the original the original question there, but it, do, it does link in because that's where you see the differences as well in terms of how you can make it happen together. No, I think that's great. And, and really the fun questions are, are those where we get into the complexities of this role, right? The, the difficulties and the the possibilities as you think about a chaplain. And I, I'm trying to flip it to the other perspective here. And you mentioned managers, you talked about owners and clubs and so on. And I wonder what, what do they want from a chaplain? Um, and, and is that consistent with what you hope to offer? Because sometimes there, there may be some, some conflict there in terms of what they think a chaplain ought to do. We're also talking about people that come from all around the world, especially at the, the, you know, the premier levels. And we're talking about multiple faiths, right? You're coming in under the, the lordship of, of Jesus Christ, and you're talking about a group of people from multiple faiths. And, and I've opened up this question from many angles. So take it wherever you like. But I, I want to hear about what, what do clubs think that a chaplain <clears throat> ought to provide? And are, is it consistent with what... Um, you're you're able to, or you, you it's built into your mission. Uh, Warren, why don't you give us uh, a try on that one? Yeah, certainly. Uh, yeah, I think you've asked some really great questions and great observations. I guess from our role, and certainly my role is uh, involved in global sports chaplaincy associations to ensure there is a consistency across the globe about what chaplaincy looks like, or certainly sports chaplaincy. Uh, 
I think when we talk about uh, specifically in in house, i.e., in specific clubs, the expectation of managers, owners, players, a lot of that is how we uh, walk a, a chaplain in. So how Matt or I or whoever walks a chaplain into a club to define what their the or qualify what their expectations are and either address them or not address them if we if we can achieve them in that sense, but address them if they're unrealistic or unable or or not part of what we do. Obviously, part of our role, yes, we are a Christian organisation, but unlike many organisations, we have working relationships with a number of national governing bodies, sporting national governing bodies, and they know we're a Christian organisation, but our promise, and this is all about integrity to the word of God, is that we will serve everybody, people of faith and no faith, and not to be intimidated about that and not to think that's a an area of compromise, but actually an area of opportunity to how we can be light in darkness in that sense. And, and and just actively, we would say, Matt would say, pastorally proactive, spiritually reactive. So we're looking to help people uh, if they've got, you know, marriage issues, if they've got physical issues, emotional issues, and we will respond healthily to those spiritual questions, spiritual demands if people want to ask us. Part of that is all about building trust and relationship. And therefore, there is a fairly understandable as Matt says certainly across borders when people are used to a chaplain the challenges come with they've come from a country where there's no expectation of a chaplain or or they have just simply don't have that understanding but part of that is learned through other people feeding into that because we do work with so many managers so many owners so many players uh, then generally that can be fed in from from a friend or someone else and, and part of that is Matt in his role going and explaining the role to some of these people who don't understand it and then it's about trust and and most people if they recognize there's someone already there and they trust that trustworthy person they will they will make a a risk analysis of that situation and and generally allow the chaplain to continue their work and start to learn what it's all about and and, and embrace them usually if and if i could pick up you know, that phrase there that warren used is is key for us pastorally proactive spiritually reactive and 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 it's key for another reasons but it's it's a phrase that we can use with integrity both in the church and in sports and really own it so you know from a sports perspective we can say yes we're a christian organization that's where we come from you know i i i very much own my faith and where my identity is and all of that I'm coming into your club or your sport to be pastorally proactive. What we mean by that is to be in regularly, week in, week out, being a presence, being supportive, pastorally caring for everybody, whether they've got a faith or whether they haven't got a faith, whether they're the the star striker or whether they're the cleaner. We're there to offer that pastoral support proactively and then reactively, spiritually. So we're not going in there. And I'll say this to Cousin, we're not going to go in and start preaching at people and start, you know, telling them that they're all sinners or anything like that. That's not what we're about. We're going to go in there and be reactive spiritually. Now, what we find, and we say this to the church as well, you know, coming back to the one of the earlier questions about finding someone who's suitable. Sometimes we get someone who applies and you can tell on the application and when you meet them, they're, they're really very evangelistic and they want to go in there and they want to preach at people. Uh, and and I, I, you you know, preach at people, you, you know what I mean? You know, or go in and tell them they need Jesus, this, that, the other. Well, 
I might agree that, I mean, everybody needs Jesus. You know, we'd, we'd all agree with that. But you're not going to go into this sports club, this football club and, and preach at them in that sense. So we say the same thing to the church that we say to the football world or the sports world. But we will react spiritually. And that's the fascinating thing for me, having been involved in this for the last 20 odd years. At a spiritual level, over the last 10 years particularly, and again, I'm looking at football, but with the influx of players from around the world, whether that's from an African country or Eastern European or whatever it may be, faith now is on the agenda such as it's never been. I, I get invited to Premier League player care conferences and we're discussing matters of faith now, which it's fantastic to be in that role as chaplain, to be, the, so to speak, the, the, the gatekeeper in there, having those conversations in that sports community about faith. Now, all those players coming in, they're not all Christians. Of course they're not. I mean, from a football perspective, it's mainly going to be Christians or, or Muslims. How do we act then, interact into that? How do we as Christians respond to that? That's really important. Finding the right person that can work in that multi-faith kind of environment. And the fact that football supporters shows that there's something in what we're doing that we're, I don't, I'm trying to sound arrogant, but something that we're doing that we're getting it right by pastorally caring for people and spiritually caring for them at the same time. Uh, fascinating stuff when you think about how chaplains uh, navigate these spaces. And it is such a unique model, really, in the UK uh, in, in the way that it's done. But it is going around the world in a number of ways, right? And and I wonder if I don't know if this is the case, but do you have a sense of chaplaincy around the world in the way that it's um, sort of moving? You say that there's a, a a much stronger openness to faith and to to chaplaincy, really, in your work that you've noticed over the last few years. Do you get any sense that it, we're we're getting to uh, a greater level of openness in other countries? Yes, I. Uh, it, the Global Sports Chaplaincy Association that we're we're linked in with, um, and over the last couple of months, I've been involved in some training with chaplains in other parts of the world, uh, some in the US, some in Africa, some in parts of Europe as well. You know, I've said earlier about different cultures within clubs in different parts of the country here, so you can imagine how it is when you're starting to talk about different cultures around the world and different expectations and how chaplaincy may or may not work. But we are finding, because of our model of chaplaincy, that other countries are looking towards us for advice and support. Our annual conference last year, you know, and particularly because we had to do it all online, meant that we could have people from around the world at it. So we had, for example, people from Australia and South Africa who attended our conference because they wanted to learn from us and then try to put it into their own their own culture, their own context. And, and so, yes, I think as we get a bit more global in terms of our outlook in things, from a football perspective, and particularly in Europe with players coming in and out, we, you know, we're looking to see if we can offer pastoral care when a player arrives from a European country, if we can link them up with chaplaincy as they arrive. I think that's a way forward as well as we start to develop it. And then the other way, the reason it's grown within this country is because a, a player, a member of staff will move from one club to another and will say, you know, you used to have a chaplain in this club and they did a great job. Do you have chaplaincy here? We can then appoint a chaplain off the back of that. 
I'd love to see that happen in, in, in Germany, in France, in Switzerland, where we see players and management going out to those countries where they've experienced it and then want to try to appoint a chaplain themselves. And we agree with you. We would love to see that sort of growth in uh, all sorts of countries. Certainly here in the U.S., sports chaplaincy is, is in a different place, but it is, uh, it's gaining momentum in different ways uh, in, the, in the integration of, of both uh, professional clubs and uh, professional teams, but also the way it's done at the, you know, the, the, vars- the uh, collegiate level. It's been really kind of interesting for us to do that uh, and see the growth of chaplaincy. Uh, so to our listeners, I just want to say we, we've been speaking with Warren Evans and, and Matt Baker of Sports Chaplaincy UK. And uh, it's been, maybe you can tell, we've had some technical difficulties. And so we just wanted to, to acknowledge that out front and let you know. I wanted to thank both these gentlemen for being on with us. We, we sort of lost Warren uh, shortly uh after the last question. Gentlemen, thank you both. It's been uh, wonderful to hear your perspectives and uh, a little bit more about your work. It's exciting for us here at Sport Faith Life to just connect with people all around the world, talk about sport, faith, and just uh, uh, grow together as we engage in this ministry all around the world. So thank you very much. Thank you. It's been a, a real privilege to be part of this. So thank you. Thanks for listening to the Sport Faith Life podcast. Find previous episodes at sportfaithlife.com and on Apple Podcasts. We're releasing each episode with a blog post authored by our guests, so you can find the blog for this podcast and other posts at the same website, sportfaithlife.com. Sport Faith Life.